Father, we ask for the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you fill me and use me? Would you prepare our hearts to receive what you want to say right now? And would you take us further and deeper? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there was this guy, and he was, a, he was an older man, <clears throat> and he was alone, and, and he was sitting in his apartment lonely one day, and he thought, you know, I got to get a pet. So he went down to the pet store, and he started thinking of what, what he could do to kind of alleviate his loneliness a little bit, and as he was in a pet store, he noticed uh, a parrot in a cage right there at the uh, entrance of the pet store, so he thought, that would be a great thing for me to have, because a parrot can talk. And I can talk to the parrot, and I won't be so lonely. So he bought a parrot, went back to his apartment, and he's waiting for the parrot to talk, and the parrot doesn't say anything. So he goes back to the pet store, and he complains. He says, this parrot doesn't talk. And the pet store owner said, well, here, get a ladder for the cage. If you get a ladder, the parrot will go up and down the ladder. It'll loosen him up a little bit. He'll start talking. So he bought the ladder. He brings it back to the cage. He puts it in. And sure enough, the parrot did walk up and down the ladder, but he didn't talk. So he goes back to the pet store and says, the parrot still isn't talking. He says, okay, get a swing. If you get a swing in, in, in the cage, it'll, it'll really relax the parrot. and He'll have fun, and when he's having fun, he'll talk. So he brings a swing in the cage, and sure enough, the parrot got on the swing, but the parrot still didn't talk. So the man goes back to the pet store another time and says, look, the parrot's not talking. What am I going to do? He says, get a mirror. If you get a mirror for the cage, the parrot will not feel so lonely, so he start talking because he'll think there's another parrot. So he gets a mirror for the cage, and sure enough, the parrot looked in the mirror, but the parrot still didn't talk. So finally, the parrot dies. So the guy goes back to the pet store, and he says, the parrot died. The pet store owner said, he, he died? Oh, I'm sorry. Did he say anything before he died? He said, yeah, he did. He said, don't they sell food down at that pet store? That's all I get for that right there? <clears throat> well, this morning I don't want to talk to you about so much about parrots that talk, but I do want to speak about a God who speaks, a God who talks to his people. As we begin this new year of 2020, I don't think there's anything more important for you and I to be able to know how to do and to know how to hear the voice of God. I mean, think about this. He knows the path that we should take in 2020 that's best for us. He also knows the choices that we should make that would really be the best choices for his glory and our good. He knows the pitfalls we ought to avoid. He knows all this. And so if we can hear his voice, it will dramatically impact what kind of year we live in 2020. Now, there's a right way to hear the voice of God, and there's a wrong way to do that. And I've shared a story with some of you in the past on my first time uh, to really ask God to speak to me was when I was a college student. I'd just become a believer, a follower of Christ for the first time, halfway through college. And a little bit of background so you understand this story. My background is, is that my father was a fighter pilot, was not a Christian, was not a Christ follower, in fact, the other direction. My older brother was at the Air Force Academy, trained to be a fighter pilot. He was not a Christian. In fact, he was going the other direction. And, uh, and so know that background there, my father and my brother, both uh, pursuing this life of being fighter pilots, but yet walking away from the Lord. 
So I become a Christian, and I go to this little church. And in this little church of 40 people, there is the leader of the Air Force ROTC, uh, Captain Gooden. He became Major Gooden. And uh, he became a new believer, too, that same time. And we met in this small church, and he hears my story. And he says, uh, well, you know what, just for, just for the heck of it, why don't you come in and take the pilot aptitude test, uh, just for the heck of it. And so I came in, I took the pilot aptitude test, and uh, I met with him afterward, he says, you just scored the highest score I've ever seen anyone score in this test. He said, not only that, I mean, you're an honor student in engineering. He said, and I tell you, in all my years of being a fighter pilot, I never met a Christian that was a fighter pilot. I'll tell you this, if you will go to OTS, Officer Training School, this summer, and go into ROTC these last two years of your college, I will guarantee you a pilot slot. Right now, only God, me, and you now know that I have three pilot slots. And I will guarantee you when if you'll just go this summer, OTS, and then go, go into ROTC these last two years. And so now I've got this dilemma. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? And so I'm just I'm a new Christian, and I'm thinking, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because I was, I mean, I, I was sold out. I was radically saved, and all I wanted to do is what God wanted me to do. So I go to, uh, I go to my dorm room, and I get out my Bible. And as I get my Bible out, I said, Lord, I know that you speak in this book, but I don't know how to do it. And so uh, I'm going to just take a risk here, and I'm going to just, I'm going to pray, ask you to speak. I'm going to open my Bible, and I'm going to put my finger down. Okay, again, I'm, not, I, I'm just saying this is, I, didn't, I didn't know anything. All I knew was I want to do whatever he said to do. And so I prayed real hard, okay, Lord, whatever you say I'll do, just speak. Do I go? Do I follow the course of my father and my brother, become a fighter pilot? Or what do I do? I don't, what do you want me to do? And so I pray, and I open my Bible up, and I put my finger down, and it lands on this verse, put the verse up there, would you? Second Chronicles 30, verse 7 and 8. It says, <laughs> Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who are unfaithful to the Lord God. Now, do not stiffen your neck like your fathers, but yield to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God. So I, I closed my Bible and said, I guess I'm supposed to go into ministry. And that's what I did. Now, am I recommending Bible roulette as a way to hear God's voice? <laughs> no, I'm not recommending this. I, I do believe God was extremely over-the-top generous to me at that point. He knew my heart, and he did speak to me, I think, that way. But that is not the normal way that you hear the voice of God. I'll make sure I'm clear about that. I don't want anybody going home today going, okay, Lord, I've been asking, you know, doing this, because it can get you in trouble. For example, I just want to go ahead and try something, okay? Let's say, I'm, God, I'm asking you, uh, what are you going to do for me in the future, okay? So let's just see. Let's open up Deuteronomy 28, 27. Go ahead and put that verse up there, would you? The Lord will smite you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and with the scab and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. So I'm not recommending this as a way to hear the voice of God. So what is the correct way to do it? And that's what we're going to spend the next several weeks really going through and seeing what the Bible actually teaches about how we, as God's people, can hear his voice. Now, we just celebrated 
just a few days ago, we celebrated Christmas. It's a great time of the year, but I want to remind you that almost everyone on planet Earth missed what God was doing on that first Christmas. Think about this. The main thing that God was doing in the galaxies, and almost everybody missed it. Almost everybody missed it. I want you to think about those people who got the last room in the inn before Mary and Joseph showed up, before they put up the no vacancy sign. Think about those very last people that were, they got that room. So Mary and Joseph and soon to be born Jesus had to go to the stable out back. So the number one thing that God was doing in the universe and the people next door were asleep, missing it. You know, it's possible to be right next to a divine visitation and sleep right through it. Most miss what God was doing that first Christmas. And I wonder how many people on planet Earth are going to miss what God is doing in 2020. Well, this morning, I want us to focus on two, chap- on two uh, characters in chapter 2 in the Gospel of Luke that didn't miss what God was doing. And I want us to notice what it was about them that enabled them to be so in tune with God that they didn't miss what he was doing. Their names are Simeon and Anna. We pick up their story in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. It says, And when the eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Okay, now so according to the Mosaic law, the mother of a male child immediately after the birth is unclean. Now on the eighth day, the boy is circumcised, but she remained unclean for 33 more days, according to Mosaic law after which she was to uh, present a burnt offering and a sin offering for her cleansing. This is all according to Leviticus chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Now, if a family was very poor and couldn't afford a lamb to sacrifice, they were allowed to sacrifice a pair of turtle doves. So Mary and Joseph qualified as very poor at that time which, by the way, is more evidence that the Magi didn't actually come till after that time because they would have had plenty of money after they had the gifts of the Magi. Now, while in Jerusalem, 
while they are doing the things they need to do according to Old Testament law, something very interesting happens. Let's pick it up, verse 25. Luke 2.25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. I want you to notice in this passage, Simeon is simply called a man in Jerusalem. He's not called a priest because he's not a priest. He's not called a prophet. He's not a king. He's not a Pharisee. He's not a religious leader. He is a man in Jerusalem. But there's something I want you to notice about this man, verse 25, 26. This man was righteous and devout looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So at the beginning of this text we're going to look at here this morning, we meet this old man named Simeon. And at the end of the text, we're going to meet an old woman named Anna. According to verse 26, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Messiah, the Lord's Christ. And so when Jesus is brought to the temple, Simeon is now moved somehow by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple at that exact time. And when he gets there, He's able to recognize that that child that he takes in his arms is the Messiah. Now, according to verse 38, at that very same moment, Anna comes in. Very same moment. She comes in. She also recognizes that that child is the Messiah. And then she begins to speak to everybody that she can about the Messiah's here. Let's look at Luke 2.38. And at that very moment, she came up, Anna, and began giving thanks to God. At that moment, she just breaks out. She didn't have a long conversation. She knew it. At that very moment, she came up, began giving thanks to God, and continued to speak of him to all those who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So this passage has been an important passage to me for many years, and I have continued to go to this passage and ask the question, why these two? Why these two? Of all the Jews that might have been chosen to recognize the child Messiah and take that child into their arms and speak of his coming. Why these two? And I think Luke really, I think Luke actually wants us to ask that question because he takes the time to tell us some of the qualities of these two people. Put on the, uh, put up on the slide there, Simeon, and it says, is righteous and devout with the Holy Spirit upon him, verse 25. And Anna scarcely departs from the temple, worshiping God, with fasting and prayer night and day. Notice that about these two people. Simeon, 
righteous and devout with the Holy Spirit upon him. Anna scarcely departs from the temple, worshiping God with fasting and prayer day and night and day. Let's just read a passage here about Anna. Luke 2, verse 36 and 37. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with a husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. And she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings, and prayers. That's interesting. Anna is called a prophetess here by the word of God. And she's a dedicated intercessor. Both Simeon and Anna sought God with all their heart. So think about it. Why these two? I mean, if God speaks to those who want to hear, then it makes perfect sense he would speak to these two. And if God allows himself to be found by those who seek him with all their heart, then it makes sense that he'd allow himself to be found by these two. There's something else about these two that's important to notice. It says both of, both of them were looking and hoping and expecting God to act and fulfill his promises to his people by sending the Messiah. They were looking for it. They were believing it to happen, expecting it to happen, and longing for it to happen. In fact, put this slide up there, verse 23, Simeon was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. Verse 38, Anna spoke of the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So both of them are full of faith in the word of God that it must come about, expectation that what God says will happen and they expect it. So they're both looking and longing and expecting God to act and fulfill his promises to his people. Simeon and Anna were longing for the consolation and redemption of God's people. And they were granted the privilege of recognizing and receiving Christ into their arms. What a moment! You know, we just got to keep remembering God is not moved by titles or status or position on the earth. He's not moved by those. He's, he's not moved by any of that. He's moved by those who long for his presence. That's, what's, that's what moves him. He speaks to those who want to hear. In fact, God is not primarily moved by need. Not primarily. He's primarily moved by prayer. The prayer of hungry hearts. Let me ask you this question. Do you think there are people on the earth right now that God is making similar promises to? Are there people on the earth that are receiving special revelation from God right now about what he's going to do this year? I think so. Well, let's go back to the story and see what happens. Luke 2, 27 to 28. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, now stop there. So Simeon took the baby Jesus into his arms and he knew 
that was the Messiah. We're not told how he knew, but he knew. And then he began to pray and to prophesy. So let's see what he prays and prophesies. Luke 2, 29. Now, Lord, you can let your bondservant depart in peace according to your word. He had a word to Simeon. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him, about Jesus. And then he hands the baby back to Mary and Joseph, blesses them. Now we're told that the child's father and mother are amazed at what was just said. I bet they were. I mean, what a moment. Can you imagine? Somebody comes up and sees your child for the first time. You're holding your baby, your baby boy, and this person you never met walks up to you and says, can I hold your baby? And you let him hold your baby, and then he says, now, God, you can take me home. I have seen this baby. But he says more than that. He says that this baby will bring about salvation to all who respond to the light he will bring. And Mary and Joseph are amazed. I mean, they're amazed. But then his tone changes. His tone changes in a more somber tone as he prophesies this, verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul. Talking to Mary. To the end, that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Okay, got to run, take care. And he's gone. We, never, we don't hear any more of Simeon. This child is the hope of the world. He's what Simeon's been waiting for his whole life. But he points out that this child is going to be spoken against, opposed. People are going to oppose him. Some people are going to resist him. Of course, some people still do. And then he says to Mary, and great pain is coming to you. So, by the way, this is pointing ultimately to the time when Jesus would go to the cross. His side is pierced. And as his side is being pierced, a sword is piercing Mary's soul. And I, I really believe that when that happened at that moment, I believe Mary remembered that prophecy. His sword will pierce you also. Well, no sooner does Simeon walk away than Anna walks up right away. Bam. Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow 
to the age of 84. And she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So this old woman is very much like this old man we just read about. Now, Anna here is called a prophetess by the word of God. But I don't believe that the religious leaders thought she was a prophetess. Because if they thought she was a prophetess, then when she started telling everyone about Messiah's here, they would have listened to her. But they didn't listen to her. Because they didn't believe she was. I think they believed that she was pretty much, uh, I don't know, a sweet old woman that hangs out in the temple, but she's kind of crazy. She had no spiritual authority in their lives. But to God, she's a prophetess. You know, true intercessors do tend to be prophetic. Why? Because God shares the secrets of his heart, of his heart to those who seek him. And that's what God does here. God shares the secrets of his heart with Anna, just like he did with Simeon. Verse 38, and at that very moment she came up began giving thanks to God, continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. How did she know? How did she know? God told her. How did God tell her? We don't know. Was it a dream? Was it a vision? Was it, still, was it the audible voice of God? Was it a still, small, quiet voice in her heart? What was it? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But she was sure. She began to tell others. I want you to think about this. If we had been called in by God before he sends his son to be a, become a human on that first Christmas, a baby born in Bethlehem, and we're sitting around the discussion table with how he's going to go about this entrance on that first Christmas, and he would have said to us, uh, here's my plan. I'm going to tell some seeking shepherds on a hillside outside of Jerusalem. And later I'm going to tell some seeking magi from the east. And in between those two times, I'm going to tell an old man named Simeon and an old woman named Anna. That's my plan. I think we probably would have said, Lord, you've got to play things up more than this. I mean, you ought to be telling Caesar. You ought to be telling the high priest. You need to tell some famous people who have, you know, some leverage. I think God would have said, no, I don't think so. I think I'll tell those who want to hear. I will be found by those who seek me. I'll open the door to those who knock. So the birth of Christ happens. Think about this. It never made the front page of the Jerusalem Times. In fact, it didn't even make the back page of the Bethlehem Bugle. <laughs> so the, best, the biggest thing God is doing in the universe, and very few people know what's happening. I think God's still like that. I think he still just speaks to those who want to hear. He allows himself to be found by those who seek him with all their heart. And right now, God is doing some big things on the earth don't expect to read about all of them in the newspaper or online, whatever 
news outlets you prefer. But you can, I think you can know about it. I think God will let you in on what he's doing. If you have ears to hear, eyes to see. About 40 years ago, I was a, new, I was a brand new student at Dallas Theological Seminary. I went to a chapel service that was required students at that time. Charles Swindoll came to speak. He was at the height of his popularity as a pastor in California, a radio celebrity, a famous author. And he spoke on a platform surrounded by three half-concentric circles of PhDs and Hebrew and Greek scholars and theologians and Bible teachers behind him and around him. And as he's speaking, at one point in his message, he says something totally unexpected. As he's speaking, he turns to these, these uh, professors who are wrapped around him, in a sense, in these three half-concentric circles, and he speaks to them. He turns his back on the student body, and he says something to them. Here's what he says to them. He says, I feel sorry for a lot of you men. I feel sorry for you because you developed such a tight theology that God can't even speak to you anymore. And I'm telling you, you could have heard a pin drop in that room. He's right. He's right. And I thought about it. There's probably no one else that could have come in and made that kind of challenge at the seminary than him being this renowned graduate of that same seminary. But the message I want us to clearly get from this often overlooked passage that we're looking at this morning is that there is an awful lie that is told by many theologians in seminaries and many pastors have been trained in this lie. And this lie is this. The lie is that God only spoke in history to extraordinary believers like Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles, don't expect him to speak to you today. That's a lie. It's a lie to say that it's only the prophets and the apostles or those directly connected or sanctioned by the apostles that receive revelation from God. That's a lie. It's not true. The Bible does not teach that. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul prays for the Ephesian believers, for normal believers, that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. In Acts chapter 8, Philip is not an apostle, and he hears from God. Acts chapter 9, Ananias is not an apostle, he hears from God. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius isn't even a baptized believer yet when he hears from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse, through, through chapter 14 talks about the gift of prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge in a, just a normal group of believers. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that those gifts of prophecy and words of knowledge and also talks about tongues won't be done away with until we see Christ face to face. It tells us that. So this teaching that, that, that those things have passed away, that was all 
first century, that teaching is not confirmed by the Bible. Let's just look at, look at this passage. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 8. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. When? It's going to tell us. If there are tongues, they will cease. When? It's going to tell us. If there's knowledge, it'll be done away with. And here I believe it's talking about words of knowledge. When? It's going to tell us. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. So when the perfect comes, that's when the partial is done away. That's when the gift of prophecy, that's partial, we see through a glass darkly. That's when words of knowledge are done away with, and we know as we're known. When? When the perfect comes. Well, when is that? What is the perfect? We just keep reading. We can't stop there and then make some decision what we think the perfect is because the text tells us what it is. We just read down to verse, um, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, when the perfect comes, but then face to face. Now I know in part now, but then I shall know fully just as I'm fully known because when we see him, we know as we're known. Which, by the way, is why we don't have any why questions when we get there. They're all answered as soon as we see them. We break out in praise for his wisdom. So 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that those gifts of prophecy and words of knowledge won't be done away with until we see Christ face to face. The truth is this. The truth is that we live, we live in the age of the outpoured spirit. We live in this age. We are a prophetic people. We are. We can hear from God today. Every believer in this room, every believer online right now, every true believer can hear from God. And in this passage today, an old man and an old woman who weren't apostles and weren't believed to be prophets by the religious establishment, no doubt, they both heard from God. They were both led by the Holy Spirit. And which really shouldn't surprise us, Psalm 25, 14, remember the Lord confides in those who fear him. So when it comes to receiving revelation from the Lord, it's not about your position or your status or your title. It's about friendship. John 15, 15, here's what Jesus says, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. See, one of the rewards of friendship with Jesus is revelation. The most important thing that God was doing in the universe on that first Christmas, and almost everybody misses it, Simeon and Anna don't miss it. They were friends of God, and God tells his friends what he's doing. Right now we're living in days where things are rapidly changing on the earth. War could break out in the Middle East before the day's over. And the U.S. would likely be involved in it. We're living in very strategic days. So what is the most important thing that we can do as believers in Christ in these strategic days? What's the most important thing you can do starting 2020? 
the most important thing that any of us can do is develop a close friendship with the Lord. He's still speaking to his friends. He's still confiding in those who fear the Lord. He's still still speaking to those who want to hear. He's still being found by those who seek him with all their heart. I don't know of any greater gift we could be offered uh, this new year than an invitation to a closer friendship with the Lord in 2020 than we've ever had. One that listens and obeys. There's nothing more important for us to have in these last days than that. Because knowing him is key to knowing what he's doing and what he wants us to do. So I would just, I would, I would encourage you, challenge you to make your number one priority of 2020, develop a closer friendship with the Lord. How? How do you do that? How do you develop a closer friendship with anyone? Well, you spend time with them. You talk to them. You listen to them. You hang out with them. You walk with them. But I want you to consider a few things here. I want you to consider the words of the psalmist, Psalm 63, verse 1, as David says this, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I want you to notice the intensity here of these words. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. I mean, this is, this, is, this is more than just a Bible reading and a, you know, praying off a prayer, you know, a, a few prayer requests. This is, this is something he has got to connect with communion with God here. It's all about communion. Communion with God, meeting with him and asking him to speak to us. It's speaking to him as we read his word and we pray over what God is saying to us in his word. Let's look at another one. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As a deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 27, 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to choir in his temple. So David describes his foremost desire is communion with the Lord, nearness to God. That's his foremost desire. And Paul says the same thing, the Apostle Paul. Philippians 3.8, more than that, Paul says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Well, let me just close with some practical, practical thoughts here. You are a very unusual person if you spend very much time with the Lord without scheduling it. So I urge you, schedule time with the Lord. Even right now, when are you going to meet with the Lord? Every day. When are you going to meet with them? Ephesians 5, 15, 16 says, Be wise, don't, don't be unwise, but be wise, making the most of your time, redeeming your time, because the days are evil. There's a leaning, a pushing toward wasting time and even misusing time if we're not deliberate about what we're going to do with our time. So I'd urge you, schedule time. When are you going to do it? And I, I challenge everyone to take the next 21 days and make sure you spend at least 20 minutes a day with the Lord. Some of you are thinking, well, I do a lot more than that now. Great, do more. But everyone, I'm challenging everyone to say 20 minutes, whatever, your, whatever your, your schedule is, before you start your day, you give the Lord 20 minutes of your focus, attention, your heart, your devotion. Schedule time. Second thing is have a prayer plan. 
Some of you have all kinds of different ways you go about praying. If you don't have a plan, I would just suggest a very simple plan. The acrostic acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Adoration. Find some praise music that helps you connect with him. Whatever it is, whatever style you like, I like it all. Just find something that works for you. And then confession. Spend some time asking the Lord, Lord, show me the footprints of carnality in my, my day today or my day yesterday. And I can confess it. Thanksgiving, spend some time. I know there's problems. We all have problems. We all have challenges. But think about all the blessings and thank them and thank them, thank them. Supplication, ask them for the things that you need to pray about and ask for and proof that you're praying for. Third, have a Bible reading plan. Seek him with an open Bible. Learn to hear his voice. He primarily is going to speak to us through his written word. The Holy Spirit is amazing how many times the Spirit of God will bring to your mind the very verse you read that morning as you're going throughout your day and lead you through that verse. So have a Bible reading plan. There's all kinds of simple plans available. A lot of study Bibles have plans, reading plans in the back. But get in the word. Start reading. If you don't know where to start, Start in the Gospel of John. Take a chapter a day, real simple. Say, I'm going to do this. And then, when you, and then seek him with all your heart and you'll find him. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. I was watching a basketball game one time and the star player had his contact lens knocked out. And it was so crucial, the entire team was on their hands and knees looking for that contact lens because we need this player. They were seeking him. They were seeking that with all their heart. We need, to, we need to approach God like that. I've got to find you here. I can't just go through the motions. I've got to connect with you before I'm done. You know, when I first became a Christian, I thought everybody did that. All Christians did that. Then I found out that hardly any of them do. Not even a lot of leaders. And everything's riding on it. Our intimacy with Jesus, everything's riding on it. Our fulfillment is riding on it. Our productivity is riding on it. The spirit-filled life is riding on it. And us being able to learn to hear his voice and by having a deeper friendship is all riding on it. So how can we not do it? And so I just urge you, start 2020 with that number one goal. I want to become a closer friend of the Lord than I was in 2019 or any time before. And I'm going to spend time with him. And I want to learn to hear his voice. And you will. I'd like to close with just a time of just being quiet for a moment. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to just close your eyes, not look around the room, not be thinking about what's coming up your day, but I just close your eyes and just be quiet. And I just want to, I'm just going to ask the Lord to speak into our hearts right now. Father, you know exactly where everyone is. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would just make this a holy time of you speaking into hearts right now. Lord, you don't have to use words. You can get that thought right into our minds and hearts. So Father, we just ask for this ministry of your Holy Spirit. We don't know how Anna and Simeon knew, but they knew it was you. Or would you speak into hearts right now?
You can open your eyes. That was one minute, 10 seconds. That's all. That's all that was. And how many of you, you don't have to say what it was, but how many of you believe the Lord spoke something to your heart just then? Raise your hand. There's hands up all over the place. That was one minute. One minute. We, we have a God who wants to speak. Not just that he can speak. He wants to. He wants to speak to you. Before we close, I just want to encourage you, if you have any questions for our staff, we have Connection Corner. Connection Coffee in this corner, and over here we have a welcome area that if this is your first time, I'd love to meet you. There will be some leaders up front that will pray for you. But I want to just close in prayer asking that God would take all of us further in this. I, I want to go a lot further than I've ever been. I hope you do too. Let's all stand together. We're going to close in prayer. Father, we don't want to be like those that it could be said our theology is so tight you can't even speak to us Lord we want to be like Simeon and Anna those who seek with all of our heart and find you those who have ears to hear and eyes to see so Lord we ask that you in 2020 would be a year that we really do see 2020 in the spiritual realm it would be a year that, Lord, you'd make us more a, a realized prophetic people. And so, Lord, would you take us there? Would you just, you just each week take us further? And, Lord, and use us in ways that you want to accomplish your purposes in these strategic days. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great day, a great week.